Uh, and now can we uh, go, please open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 12. Um, we'll be reading the ESV version, which is up there on the screen. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 12. Uh, and it reads, Judge not that you not be judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your own brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who receives and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good, good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Amen. Uh, I guess uh, I will introduce myself for today. <laughs> um, so uh, I'm going to be preaching on uh, Matthew 7. Um, and, you know, I was just thinking about uh, just during this time in lockdown, there are many things, uh, many things that we, not, uh, we are not able to enjoy like normal, right? That's a given. Uh, one, of the, one of the things, though, that... Uh, Heidi and I haven't been able to enjoy uh, is just being able to go out uh, to the cinemas and enjoy a good movie. And we're just thinking about, you know, what was one of the last movies that we were able to uh, go and do that and, and really have a good time with. And uh, it was a small, uh, low budget sports movie that we both loved uh, last time we watched in Sydney called The Grizzlies. And it's got your really typical formula right, of an outsider comes into an underprivileged town and he coaches a high school uh, sports team. In this case, uh, it's a lacrosse team. If you don't know what that is, it's like a weird sport where they use uh, these sticks with nets on the end of them and they catch a ball and then try, try to like score goals. It's, it's, it's a Canadian sport. I don't understand it. But uh, it's, a really, uh, it's a really good sports movie. Uh, and... The, the guy, the coach, he comes into a, a tough situation, a tough place. Uh, it's based on a true story. It's a town that has the highest rate of youth suicide in North America uh, because all, all of these students, they're from uh, an ethnic uh, indigenous background in, in Canada, uh, the Inuit people. And from a very young age, all they know is poverty and violence, drugs, alcohol. 
And, you know, you get to a certain point if you just live through that where life is not worth living anymore. Uh, you see your friends kind of uh, fade out and die and then you feel like there's just no hope for the future. So that's the situation that this coach comes into and very early on in the story, he's trying to, you know, win these students over and it's just not happening. He's just failing at it like, repeatedly. He tries to motivate them, tries to visit them at their home, like after school, nothing's working. He gets punched in the face by a student. No one's turning up to his practices. At his very lowest point, he gets offered a dream job uh, at this prestigious private school to go and teach there. That's like a really tempting offer, isn't it? And one of the students overhears him having that conversation and tells everyone else. And they become even more hateful and hardened and jaded towards this coach. But um, you know, very early on in the movie, he doesn't take the job. He decides not to take the job. He decides to stay. And that, it, it, it does something. It, it breaks something off of these students because they realize for the first time that he's actually here because he wants to be, because he wants to know them and be involved in their lives. He cares about them. And for the very first time, they receive him genuinely. And as he's received genuinely, he teaches them to genuinely receive each other because they'd all grown up in this environment. It's dog eat dog, it's hostile. They're shunning one another, but he breaks down the relational barrier first between him and them. And as he does that, he leads them to break down their own relational barriers. And it's at that point that their lives begin to change. They begin to change. They begin to have hope for the future. You know, I was watching this movie um, and I you know, was tearing up even at this early point because it just made me think of why Jesus came, right? Not just to save us from the darkness of our sinful state or just to tell us how to live differently. Like he actually came so that we might genuinely know him and receive him into our lives. He came so that the barrier between us and him would be shattered. And in turn, he leads us to break down the barriers between one another. So it's really no surprise that as we come to chapter seven, which is really the last part of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus has been speaking about really great, big and wonderful things. He's been talking about you know, obeying God internally with our hearts. He's been talking about seeking God, his kingdom, first visibly with our lives. As we get to the last part of the sermon on the mount, Jesus is concerned with our relationships. He's concerned with teaching us how to apply all of this stuff in the context of relationships. Because that's what he came for. Came for a relationship with us and so that our relationship with one another would be restored and healed and flourishing. And whether you like it or not, we're relational creatures. That's how God designed us. We're either in relationships or we're drawn to relationships. We're not made to be alone. And if we're to experience the kingdom life that Jesus is talking about, it's going to occur in these kinds of relationships that Jesus 
is calling us to have. So today we're going to look at three kinds of relationships that Jesus teaches us to navigate as we try to live this kingdom life. All right. So the three are the relationship that we have with ourselves and the relationship that we have with others and the relationship that we have with God. So with ourselves, with others, with others and with God. So firstly, our relationship with ourselves is what verse one says, judge not that you be not judged. And, you know, if, if you think about how John three sixteen, for God so loved the world, if that's the most well-known verse uh, in the Bible for Christians, then I think this verse is probably the most well-known verse for non-Christians, right? Judge not that you be not judged. A lot of people love to throw this verse around because, you know, we all understand on some level that it's not right to pass judgment on other people. We all understand that it doesn't feel good to be judged because we're all complicated and like none of us presume to know that we can see inside uh, each other's hearts. Like we know what's going on in, in terms of each other's deep heart motivations, right? But if you've noticed so far on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been getting straight into the hearts and how we do have wrong motivation. That's what he's been talking about. And then down in verse six of this passage that we just read today, Jesus calls people dogs and pigs. So basically, if you really think about this for a moment, Jesus is saying, don't judge people, you dog. Don't judge people now, you pig. Isn't that funny? (laughs) Isn't that kind of a contradiction? Is Jesus telling us, don't judge people, period. But you know what? I'm going to judge people. I'm going to judge people's hearts. I'm going to call people pigs and dogs. So Jesus is not warning against all judgment in general, like period. Don't ever judge anyone. It's wrong to ever judge anyone. Like you can't actually read this book. You can't read the Bible and come to that conclusion because it's full of people saying, repent. Like you need to change. Turn from your sin. Turn to God. This is not a warning against all judgment. This is a warning against hypocritical judgment. So Jesus' great concern when it comes to our horizontal relationships is first and foremost how we relate to ourselves. And there's a need to just look at ourselves before we begin to point out sin and wrongdoing in, in, in other people. And Jesus is saying, see all this stuff that I've been talking about. All this stuff in the Sermon on the Mount, before you go looking at others, other people's lives, apply this sermon to yourself first. Because when we first start with ourselves, we're in a much better position to speak truthfully and compassionately to others and say, hey, I see this area where you're falling short. But you know what? I've seen that in my own life. God's pointed that out in my own life. And here's what I'm doing to repent. Let's repent together. We have to begin with this question of how do Jesus' words apply to me? Does my life actually reflect the citizenship of the kingdom that Jesus is talking about? Our first concern is our relationship with ourselves when it comes to these horizontal relationships. But secondly, uh, Jesus talks about our relationship with other people. And this is where it gets a bit more... uh, Rubber meets the road, right? So if you read verse three to five with me, this is what it says. 
Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And Jesus is being pretty funny. He's being pretty comical here. He's putting this image uh, in our heads, if you can picture it for a moment, this guy who's got a giant beam of wood sticking out of his head, you know, he swings his head around, probably hit, hit you in the face, and he's walking up to a guy and he's pointing out this tiny speck of sawdust in his eye. He's saying, you can't do that. Like, you need to examine yourself first. You need to see that beam of wood sticking out of your own eye. He's made that clear. But then I want you to notice a key word that we cannot gloss over in verse five. Jesus says, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. See, Jesus wants us to take the speck out of our brother's eye. He wants us to help each other. He wants us to, to judge each other without hypocritical judgment. Once we've applied the sermon to ourselves, and we can see ourselves more clearly. I want you to think about a time where you've seen a brother or sister in sin. You want to say something. And isn't it true that that is so much harder to do? Or if you try to do it, it's just not going to come out the right way when you are in your own unrepentant sin, when you're living a life of just brushing your own sin under the rug, isn't it true that it's so much more difficult to even take the step to do that? But when you're living a life of repentance, when you're dealing with your sin before God and you see a brother or sister struggling, you can empathize with them. You can have compassion for them. And the way that you speak to them is marked with humility and patience. Or think about a time when someone has pointed out sin in you. I'm sure you can you know, remember those times that that wasn't done particularly well. But think about the times where it was done well. Wasn't it evident that that person has reflected on the ways that sin is persistent in their own life and their correction they're pointing out it's seasoned, it's parked with love and grace and humility. And it's not easy to hear, but you can hear it. It does lead to conviction. See, there's a right way to judge one another. And Jesus wants us to do that unhypocritically. But there are also times when it's just not going to be well received, even when you make that judgment unhypocritically when you make that judgment after having applied the sermon to yourself first. And that's what Jesus talks about in verse six. So read that with me. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs. Let's say trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. And Jesus is saying really simply here, you know, just like a dog with something holy before it or a pig with pearls put before it, you have to understand that, uh, under Levitical law at this time, the dog and the pig, they were the uncleanest animals, right? They weren't like the fluffy kind of, you know, fluffy, like well-groomed dogs that we have now. Uh, I guess pigs aren't that 
clean anyway still right now. But uh, Jesus is saying that you know, with these animals at that time, they're just not going to appreciate you putting something holy or putting a pearl before it. So don't, you know, try to shove it down their throats and be, pre be prepared for retaliation. Be prepared for, for them to turn around and attack you. So we see in Jesus' own life that he's, he's exceptionally patient with people, right? He pursues sinners. But nowhere in the Bible do we see Jesus banging his head against the wall, trying to force someone to repent. Like, you just don't see that. But in patient love, he always leaves the door open. I think about um, Nicodemus in the Gospel of John. This guy comes to Jesus, asks all these questions. He's not very sure you know, about what does it mean to be born again. He goes off, he comes back, goes off, comes back. And Jesus is just so patient with him. Right? He leaves that door open. And we're to do the same. All right, we're to do the same. So, you know, Jesus has talked to us about our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with others, and finally, our, our relationship with God. That's verses 7 to 12. Now, this is a pretty well-known verse, and I have to say it's been taken out of context. So um, we're just going to read it once through. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. And which one of you, if the son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if you ask for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And in this section, it can feel a bit random because it's about prayer and it's about the nature of how we ask God for things in prayer. And um, this verse has, well, this section has been taken out of context because it's not a section about praying for whatever you want, right? for whatever you des your desires are. And if you just ask in the right way, like you'll get it. If you pray and you ask, you know, for that car in the right way with faith, like you'll get it. That's not what this is. It's not a blank check prayer request uh, structure. Here, Jesus is promising that whenever we ask God in prayer, he will always do good for us because he's our father in heaven. And I want you to look at one word in verse 12. One small word that changes everything, that makes all the difference. And that word is so, at the start of verse 12, so. Or in the Greek, uh, un, it's like this hinge. You see this word so at the start of verse 12, it, it shows what verse 12 depends on. It shows that it's connected to what comes before it. And verse 12, this golden rule, this commandment, right? To do uh, whatever you wish to others that you wish uh, would be done to you. That command, it depends on understanding the previous verse. So, right? 
depends on understanding that God will always do good for us. So, you know, we get to this point, uh, the golden rule, and Jesus calls us to do as much good for others as we want others to do for us. And if we're like, just brutally honest, the question we have deep inside is what about us though? Like, who's going to do good for us? Who's going to do good for me? If I do this for someone else, is there, is there, is there a guarantee that that person is going to do the same for me? That's a valid question. And Jesus loves that question. And the way that he answers it is by giving us this connection, this, this hinge, this so, this promise. See, the so is dependent on what comes before. And what comes before is this promise. Ask, seek, and knock, and you will understand that God will always do good for you. Come to God in prayer, in earnest prayer. And you can rest in the fact that he rejoices to do good with all of his heart and all of his soul for you because he is your good father. So when it comes to devoting yourself to doing good to others, to fulfilling the golden rule, it means you're not on your own. You're not on your own and trying to change your character. You're not on on your own and growing in your identity as a citizen of the kingdom. You're not on your own in applying this to yourself and to others. God will help you through this. So do it. See, when it comes to applying this sermon to yourself, That's the very first thing that we're called to do, right? It's often going to look like just realizing how much we're not applying this to ourselves, isn't it? It's going to look like how much we're not obeying God internally with our hearts and seeking the the kingdom of God visibly with our lives. And really often applying the sermon to ourselves, what it's first going to look like, it's just going to look like repentance and faith. Right, repentance for believing in Jesus without following Jesus. Repentance for seeking our kingdom first instead of God's kingdom first. Repentance for seeing ourselves as a hammer and everyone else as a nail. And the faith comes from knowing that despite our failure to do any of these things right, that we're forgiven. Because Jesus stands between the gap and he justifies us. He justifies us. He cleanses us. He sanctifies us. And then how do we apply the sermon to others? Well, if I'm to be honest, the non-Christian kind of appeal of the verse, judge not, uh, that you uh, you be not judged, it's become really appealing to Christians. And yeah, we do have a problem of judging hypocritically, but we also have the problem of not wanting to pass judgment at all. We don't want to talk about sin, our sin or other people's sin. All right, let's just stay in our own lanes. You do your thing and I'll do mine. But if we don't call each other out unhypocritically, if we don't call each other to actually live the kingdom life that Jesus is talking about, then then we won't. We will stay in each other's lanes and that'll be that. Like God did not save you to individual Christianity. You're never meant to walk 
this walk of faith on your own. God saved us to a body of broken people who help each other pursue repentance and take seriously the kingdom life that we've been called to. And we need each other. We need to talk about our sin with each other if we want to change. Even if it's not received well. And we do trust that God is the one who changes hearts. And we still show patience uh, to those who reject our efforts by leaving the door open. But we do speak into each other's lives. We actually apply the sermon to one another unhypocritically. And finally, as we do all of that, we ask God for help. You see the progression here of the prayer that Jesus is talking about. First, he tells us to ask, and that's really formal, right? And then he tells us to seek, and that's a little less formal. You know, you're, you're moving beyond just asking to, 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 like, you know, trying to, to find. And then you get to knock, and that's not just less formal, that's informal. Uh, you would have the audacity to go to the door of God and bang on it and ask God to remind that he will do good to you. But that's our great privilege as children of God. We can do that. And, you know, this week I would ask that you set apart 10 minutes to open your Bible to this passage, to Matthew seven eleven, and pray over this promise right, until the Holy Spirit stirs your heart that it's true. And because of Jesus' death, he will bring you good through every problem, through every circumstance, and every future scenario. You know, I took a moment to do this. Uh, I've been doing this for the past couple of weeks, actually. Just, just thinking about what it means to know that God will actually do good uh, to, to me or for us as Christians, as his children. And yes, it's so wonderful. It's so amazing to, to know that you know, when we sin, when we fail to live out this kingdom life, when we fail to obey God internally with our hearts, when we fail to seek his kingdom first, visibly with our lives, that we can be forgiven. Right? So, uh, you know, what's been especially heavy and wonderful in my heart is just knowing that no matter how tough and decrepit life gets, especially in this time as we're in lockdown, as we go through this COVID-affected world, knowing that Jesus' death has covered our sins, but his resurrection has sealed our fate, has sealed our future. I've just been thinking about what it would be like to finally get to heaven and to just stand before God with Jesus, knowing that every problem and every circumstance and every future scenario that might be hard has led up to this moment, that in that moment, everything doesn't matter anymore. The only thing that does matter is that we're with him. That's our fate. That's the good future that is secure for us, no matter what. 
doesn't matter how you feel about it. If you're in Christ, that's where you're headed. And that's so wonderful. That's so good. See, when you take a moment to ask and to seek and to knock, God will remind you that he will do good to you. And you notice your heart, you notice what's happening. When you see that God will bring you great good, you will feel growing peace. You'll feel growing joy. Your heart will become more and more full. And as your heart fills, it's, it's like what happens when you pour water into a bucket. And if you keep pouring, it will just overflow. Right? As your heart fills, you will start wanting to do good for others. And that's how we obey the golden rule. It's not about just gritting your teeth and doing good to others. At the heart of it, it's coming before God as his children, about asking and seeking and knocking and knowing again, being reminded that God will do good to you, no matter the circumstance, no matter the problem that you're going through, that your future is sealed in Christ. And as you do that, as your heart overflows, that's how you do good to others. That's how you will obey the golden rule. And I believe that if we do that, we will see the blessedness of the kingdom life in our relationships, which will flourish. And it's not enough to just come to church and just do church and just you know, check in on each other's lives with surface level questions. We apply the sermon to ourselves and we, we, we're open about how much we fail to do that. And that creates a humility and a compassion within us to, to encourage and sometimes call out the same in others. And we do all of that in prayer as we ask God for help, as we recognize his goodness in our lives. And it creates this amazing cascading overflow. You know, our, our namesake, the name of our church is the world. And, you know, John 4, right? And Jesus says, if we come to him, if we drink from the water that he will provide, create within us a wellspring of water, right? Of living water. That's what we want to see in our church and in our city. Flourishing relationships, kingdom relationships. So will you join me in seeking those things? Let's pray. Good Father, Lord, we thank you that uh, you came, uh, you who are God came, not just to save us, not just to fix our problems, and make us holy. You did that. You did all of those things through your son, through his death on the cross. And we yeah, we marvel at that. But Lord, we are also so moved that you who are God would come into our world and into our lives because you wanted to have relationship with us. You wanted to reconcile us to you. And in so doing, you wanted our relationships with one another to be healthy, 
to reflect the relationship that we have with you. And that's what we want to see in our own lives. That's what we want to see in our church, in our city. And we admit to you that we're powerless to do that on our own. It's not about some kind of moral, you know, moralistic therapy. If we do the right things, we'll feel better about ourselves. But Lord, we need a heart change. But we need to come before you in prayer. And I ask that you would lead us even this week, that you would help us to do that, to come before you in earnest prayer, right? That we would ask, that we would seek and knock at your door. And that we would be reminded that you will do good to us no matter what. I pray that that would change us. I pray that that would cause our hearts to overflow with the knowledge of your goodness, with the conviction of your love, and that that's what would enable us to do good to others. We want to see that in our church. We want to see that in our city. We want to see that in our nation and in, in our world. And may it start with us. May it start you know, even in a small beginning in our church community. So would you help us to live the, that kind of life, Lord? A life of kingdom relationships. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.